Good morning. Welcome to May's Church Community. My name is Angela Henning, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to share a quick funny story from this week. Um, this week, each week, we get, our, we get our notes ready. And from the very beginning, our lead pastor, Nate, has liked to, to number our gatherings. And this week, I think it was Courtney who mentioned it to me when in the office, this is week live stream number 53. And it's funny because I'll tell you, one year ago today was live stream number one. And one year ago today was the first time I preached at Emmaus. <laughs> so I was getting ready to preach. And I think Thursday, Rich is like, it's not happening. So we did a lot of scrambling. And my first sermon was to an empty a sanctuary and to a red light. So can I tell you, I am so glad there are people here today. I'm so glad you're here with us. So good to be together physically. Yes. So thanks for being here. Um, if you're new here today, we have communication cards. They help us um, give you information. We don't spam you, but it le lets you just keep up to date with what's going on because, you know, things change a lot in this season. So if you want to know what's happening, um, you can fill out a communication cards, and along with that comes a really great bag of coffee from Valiant Coffee. So we like to keep you caffeinated during the week as a gift from us. And also we have Bibles. If you need one today, you're gonna be, we're going to be using it as I teach. And also these note cards. So if you don't have a note card or a Bible, if you could raise your hand, we'll get one to you. And then we're going to dive into this. Um, so in this, this is the season of Lent, and in this season of Lent, several of us are just talking about our need for Jesus. And Nate has asked us, as we talked about our need for Jesus, to talk from a more personal level. So that's what I'm going to start with. I'm going to start with a little bit more personal than usual. So let's start off. Next month, at the end of next month, I'm getting ordained. And it's, it's, it is... It's exciting now. <laughs> so I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, so if you had told me 10 or 15 years ago that in April of 2021, I would become an ordained minister, I probably would have laughed from the absurdity of that idea. And I certainly probably would have sworn that you could not be more wrong. Like, that's just not going to happen. I probably would have bet money on it. Um, but the thing is, I, I grew up in the church. In fact, I grew up in a family that was in full-time ministry. And sometimes, many times, growing up in a pastor's family can be difficult. There is brokenness everywhere, including the church. And through seeing so much brokenness and experiencing so much, there was a lot of areas of the church that I just became disillusioned with. And I never physically left the church. And I never officially turned my back on God. But because of pain and fear, I put up some boundaries. I still wanted a relationship with Jesus, but I wanted a safer one. I followed Jesus, but at a distance. I put some distance between us just, for, just to be safe, right? And um, early on, I was pretty strategic about these boundaries. I made rules. I made many rules. But one of my big ones was I would never marry a pastor. That was like my big safeguard, right? I had spent 18 years living in a pastor's family, and I told God I paid my dues. 
I actually articulated this to God. I'm done. I've done my suffering. I'm all done. So to make sure that that didn't happen, I figured one of the best safety measures was just to say, I'm not going to marry a pastor. And I didn't. I didn't marry a pastor. I majored in English. I have a uh, master's degree in British Lit. I taught college for over 10 years. And I was still involved in my church on my own terms. I compartmentalized areas of my life. And I packed away the broken pieces, the broken parts that I just couldn't deal with. I just shoved them away. But the thing about brokenness is that no matter how much you try to stuff it away, you're going to have to deal with it eventually. And it was in a season where I thought things were going pretty well. I thought things, I'd figured out life. There was an event. And the event wasn't even directly related to me, but it triggered me. And it made me stop. It forced me to look at the parts of my life that I did not want to look at. And it forced me to face my own brokenness. And it was a mess. But it was clear that I was no longer able to keep ignoring the pain. And I was given a choice in that moment. I could either become really bitter and completely walk away from everything to do with God or I could do something really drastic, like surrender it all to Jesus. And I surrendered. And it was a process and not a quick one. And it involved things like sharing my pain with people. I shared it with people that I deeply trusted, but it still was hard. It meant giving up control of everything to Jesus and choosing to trust him. It meant not being able to hold things back. It was hard. And I, would be, no, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say it didn't turn my world completely upside down. I worked through that season. I surrendered to Jesus. And as I did so, my load became lighter. And I let go of things that had been so heavy on my shoulders and had been weighing me down for decades. And burdens were lifted. And at the end of that season, I was just so relieved it was over because I had surrendered everything to God. I was done, except I wasn't. Yeah, we never are. And a few years later, at a pretty unex another unexpected moment, God stopped me again. What felt like an out-of-nowhere conversation, God spoke to me and called me to become an ordained minister. Not only did I think this was a terrible idea, I didn't think it even, that that idea had ever even entered my mind or even occurred to me as a choice before that moment. But the calling was extremely clear and extremely ridiculous. I immediately made a list for God of all the reasons why this was a bad idea. And I know he listened to me as I went through this list. But he didn't budge. He just, I just felt like he said, so, so going. And because of the work I had done earlier and because of the surrender I had done a few years before and because the Holy Spirit was continuing to press into my heart, I knew I had to share it with at least one person, right? So I made an appointment with Nate, the lead pastor here, who's been a longtime friend as well. And I remember having lunch and finding it really, really hard just to actually come out and say what God had put on my heart. I honestly thought I was going to throw up when I finally said, I think God wants me to become a pastor. 
And then I followed it up with this disclaimer. I just think that God wants me to be willing. Then he's going to release me, so let's just wait and see if it goes away. That was my hope. <laughs> that was my hope. And the thing is, I waited, and I hoped, for almost a whole year. And I just thought, God is going to release me from this calling. But he didn't. And I felt at one point I had surrendered so much, and yet God was revealing even more, and now he was asking even more. Without those boundaries and rules that I had before, I already felt vulnerable and I already felt exposed. And now this. This experience, this call was like returning to my old pain in a whole new way. It wasn't safe. And each step of this journey has been a challenge to me. So today I want to talk about brokenness and surrender. And, I, and, of course, who comes to mind for me is one of the most well-known disciples. He's a guy named Simon Peter. And in, I'm just going to give you a quick summary to remind you about some things about Simon Peter. First of all, he's a fisherman, and he leaves everything to follow Jesus, which is great. He believes in Jesus. He's one of the first to understand that Jesus is Christ, son of the living God. He's traveled with Jesus. He knows Jesus. Jesus even at one point says, Peter, on you I'm going to build my church. He predicts this about this man. And in many ways, Peter understands who Jesus is. And his flaw is not in that he doesn't know who Jesus is. His flaw is that he cannot accept his own brokenness. Jesus even predicts to him that Peter was going to deny him. And Peter can't accept it. He can't, can't. Even think that that was possible. And Peter seems to get so caught up in following Jesus on his own power and on his own terms, he gets caught up in trying to be the best disciple and thinks that he is strong enough to follow Jesus all on his own. And there's this pivotal scene in Peter's life, Luke 22:54 to 62. We're going to read that passage together. And this is, Jesus has just been arrested. This is the, towards the end of Jesus' time on earth, and he's just been arrested. Then, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl seated there in the firelight, she looked at him closely and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter, remembering the word the Lord has spoken to him, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. You've probably heard that story before. But this week when I read it, there were two things that I noticed a little differently. Peter, who's boasted his allegiance 
who says he is just the strongest of the, of the disciples, he's scared. He hasn't abandoned Jesus. But there's a phrase I notice here that's so different than any other time up until this point. He sa it says that he follows him at a distance. Now, anyone watching Peter before he denies Jesus, they wouldn't say he abandoned Christ. They would say he followed him in a safe manner. But it's when Peter is trying to low-key follow Jesus that he's confronted and the very, by the very thing that Jesus predicted he would do. He denies his Lord over and over and over again. Friends, we're not made to follow Jesus at a distance. Following Jesus at a distance can be deceptive. It allows us to fool ourselves. It allows us to pretend that we are doing what we need to be doing. And the other problem that with following Jesus at a distance is it creates this space. It creates a space where we tend to put things in there. We tend to fill that space with things that can separate us from the love of God. And you know what? After a while, when you have this space and you put so many things in there, all that chaos makes it so hard to even hear Jesus. The God who wants to follow us, the God who wants to empower us, is the same God who calls us to follow him so closely. He calls us to be so close that we cannot miss being a part of his plan. He desires that we are all in and completely with him. So in the same scene, Jesus is still the God of mercy. Can you imagine? In the midst of Jesus' arrest, in the midst of the pain he's suffering, the insults that are being thrown on him, the knowledge that he is walking towards his own painful death, Jesus stops. He stops and looks straight into Peter's eyes. He looks straight into his soul. Can you imagine this as Peter has denied even knowing Jesus? This is the same Peter who a few hours later has just drawn a sword and cut off a man's ear trying to be the man and defend Jesus. He's bold, right? And he's made this huge claim of allegiance to Jesus. And yet, here, now, all of his intentions fall short that night as he denies his Lord for the third time. And that look. Some may suggest that Jesus has a look of condemnation, but I don't think, it's, I don't think that's right. I don't even think it's the I told you so look, which sometimes I do give my kids at dinner parties. But in the midst of everything, Jesus is stopping and confronting Peter with the truth. It's an act of mercy, friends. It's an act of mercy. It's an act of love. Jesus knows that this moment when Peter needs to see reality, that reality is so important that he understands it right now. He needs to understand that no matter how hard he tries to be strong, no matter how much he wants to be faithful, no matter what he is trying to do it on his own power, and that will never work. Peter, you alone are never strong enough. So Peter, who has witnessed the power of Jesus firsthand, Peter, who's been personally mentored by Jesus Christ for over three years, he's well-trained, he's knowledgeable, he's been raised up to be the foundation of the Christian church, Yet he cannot do anything for the kingdom 
until he surrenders everything to Jesus and really trusts him. In this story, Jesus is willing to stop for Peter so Peter can realize his own brokenness. God wanted that for Peter. And God is willing to make us aware of our own brokenness, not as a means of punishment, but as a means of grace. Jesus' confrontation is not about condemnation. It's about freedom. Jesus stops us not to disqualify us because we're broken, but he wants to empower us in in spite of us being broken. So here Peter is faced with a decision, and it's the decision I have faced. It's the decision each of us will be faced with. Out of deep love, Jesus continues to be willing to stop us and to confront us. He doesn't want us following him at a distance. When he confronts us with his own brokenness, it's because he wants to draw us closer, not push us away. And when the Holy Spirit chooses to have mercy on us and stop us where we are, we have to see that there is a choice to be made. When we're, made of our, when we're made aware of our sin and our brokenness or our pain, one option, we can flee from it. We can go the exact opposite way and even put more distance between us and God. Sometimes that means creating safe boundaries. Sometimes it looks like completely walking away from the church. Sometimes it looks like just pretending you've got it all together and your life looks just like you want it to on Instagram or whatever social media you're using. And sometimes you might just use something to numb your pain and continue this deep denial. I mean, the list goes on and on. We've created a pretty extensive list of ways to avoid acknowledging our brokenness and distancing ourselves from God. But there's another option. The other option is that when we're made aware of our brokenness, we can surrender. Now, sometimes this one feels like the exact opposite of what my gut is telling me to do. When I've come to a place of having to acknowledge deep pain, surrender can be the scariest and most difficult thing I do because it means letting go of my control. It means giving up on what I think is comfort and what I think is security and not holding back. It means giving Jesus everything I know I need to give him in that moment with the knowledge that he's going to continue to ask for more things and reveal more things to me. It means letting go of who I think I am and who I thought I wanted to be and allowing that person to die so I can live like Jesus. It's not easy. It's not painless. And here we see Peter weep bitterly because he is suddenly aware of his own deep brokenness. Augustine writes about Peter's denial when he says, Remembrance of his denial was necessarily bitter so that the grace of redemption might be even more sweet. The awareness of our brokenness is bitter. It's hard. It's painful. It's humiliating sometimes. But what Jesus is giving us to do is so much sweeter. What Jesus wants to do for us is so much sweeter. Last week, Pastor Rich talked about recognizing our needs, and it was so good. I really appreciated how he articulated that 
We have to become aware of our need for Jesus. And he used David's prayer, search me, O God. And it was so appropriate. And we have to do those things. We have to ask God to show us our needs. And it has to be an ongoing prayer. Because the act of becoming aware and then surrendering to God can't be a one-time event. It has to be how we live. These choices aren't just part of our journey. I believe they are the journey. Following Jesus has to be about a lifetime of choices and a lifetime of continuing to surrender. So a few years ago, I was meeting with my mentor. And at that point, I had spent a lot of years meeting with my mentor and focusing on this idea of letting control go in my life. I'd actually gotten to a point where I thought, this has been hard, but I'm in a good place. But as God does, he revealed to me some new areas of my life that I needed to surrender. He revealed to me brokenness that I didn't even know that I had before. And you know what my reaction was? I was super irritated. (laughs) Just going to be really honest here. I was super irritated. And my meeting with my mentor turned more into my rant with my mentor. But I remember talking to him about this and about my heart because I often picture my heart as a place. I picture it as a room in my soul. And um, I think of this large room, and I said to him, I have worked so hard on my heart. It's like I have given everything to Jesus, and my heart was in order. It was clean. I felt like everything was where it was supposed to be. It was tidy. And then as I'm sitting back and appreciating it, I looked around the room, and I noticed this door in the room that I had never noticed before. And when I opened it, it was a total mess. It was filled with so much trash that I had never even dealt with before. I thought I had the whole place cleaned up and tidy. Just as I was about to put my feet up, I noticed that door. So my mentor just smiled and he said, don't you see? You have discovered a new room in your heart. Yes, it's full of garbage. But don't you see what this means? Don't you see what that means? That your heart is even bigger than you realized. And as you work, and as you surrender, and as you clean out that room, you're going to have more space. Do you realize that your heart has now more capacity for love than you ever imagined? Because your heart is bigger than you ever knew possible. Sometimes I'm so caught up in this act of surrender and the work that it goes into surrendering, that I fail to see the way that God is transforming me. I fail to see the way that my capacity has changed. I'm quick to forget that this work changes how I live, how I love others, how I function. It changes me. And continuing to surrender continues to transform my soul thing is, we are meant for so much more than just knowing who Jesus is. We're called to grow into a spiritual maturity that doesn't just prepare us for heaven, but equips us to live in the now the way Jesus intended. We are intended to draw closer and closer to Jesus. There's another scene. This one's in the Gospel of John, and it's with Peter again. And he's having a conversation. This time it's with the resurrected Christ. And it's John 21, 15 to 19. If you have the um, red Bibles, it's page 757. And I'm just going to read it to you. 
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to them, said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter, who has failed, Peter, who has surrendered, Peter, who is now surrendering, is now having this conversation. Jesus is continuing to reveal the brokenness of his heart. Peter's need to prove himself has to be surrendered. Jesus asks him if he still thinks he loves Jesus more or better than the other uh, followers. Then he follows it with what he's asking of Peter. He's calling Peter to a pastoral role. He's calling Peter to alter his ambitions, to be better than others, and instead to humbly serve others. And after saying this three times, he goes on to tell him that his obedience is not going to end well. It's not going to end in elevation, but in death. His obedience is not going to be about that power and that position that Peter wanted for so long, but it's going to be about his death. This is the here and now, and this is how it's laid out. We see Peter really surrender to Jesus' last command, which is simply, follow me. The same Jesus who made Peter aware of his weakness calls Peter to more. He entrusted him with more responsibility. He gave him this charge to love others. He teaches him how to shepherd. Jesus does not ask him to have it all together, but simply to surrender in such a way that he knows that he can only do the will of God by the power of God. We see the evidence here when Peter, who has always been about his own power and his own self-sufficiency, hears Jesus tell him, you're going to die as a martyr. And this time, Peter does not challenge him. He accepts it, and he follows him. Christ goes on to build his church on Peter, and, but Peter's need to surrender doesn't end with this story. It's ongoing. His human brokenness will continue to be revealed to him all the days of his life. I'm getting ordained next month, but at this point now, it's just another moment of surrendering. I can trust Jesus, and on many days, that's all I have to hold on to. I surrender to Jesus because I trust him. In this season, as we prepare for Easter, and as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I wonder, what does surrender look like in your lives in this season? It's easy to want to be comfortable. It's easy to believe we are serving God when we're following him at a safe distance. But surrendering to Jesus is ongoing. And in a season where I think many of us are just desiring safety, 
it's been really easy for us to allow a gap to develop. In an attempt to protect ourselves, we can allow things to come between us and Jesus. I don't even know what completely surrendering to Jesus might look for each of you in your context, but God does. The thing is, each of us are broken. Each of us have a different pain, but we are all called to face it and surrender it to Christ. There is a feast coming, and as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, it means so much more when we prepare for it. When we come aware of our brokenness, we're going to receive that feast differently. When we understand that it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that we will become restored people, that celebration and that thanksgiving are so much richer. Because the feast is not about getting yourself ready. Our host wants to do that for us. Our host wants to draw us closer to him. God wants to help prepare our hearts because Jesus is here now. And he's not about disqualifying you. He's about empowering you. I hope you'll allow Jesus to do that in this season. And now, as Easter approaches, just had a few questions I just want us to kind of sit with for a few minutes this morning. We're not going to get to the end of all of these, but maybe it would just get us thinking as we prepare our hearts for Easter. The first one is, what was the last thing or the last area that you surrendered to God? Can you remember that? Can you think of something you have let go? Maybe just the key word. Maybe the first thing that comes to your mind. The second question. Are there areas of your life that are off limits to God? What are they? This paper's just for you. <laughs> it's just a really good moment just to be honest. You know, I have things in your life where you're like, oh, this is God. I don't talk to God about this. That's not what I'm talking about. So just as you consider things, what are things that you're like, mm, I'm not bringing that to God. That's not, that's not a God thing. So just maybe think about some areas that are off limits to God. Take a moment, just write them down. And the last question this morning, is the Holy Spirit stopping you today to make you aware of what you need to surrender? Think about this. Can you name it? Is there something in your life that the Holy Spirit is stopping right now to look into your eyes and make you aware of, you need to give this to me? Remember, this is a process. And right now in this moment, if Jesus is looking at you, you don't want to miss it, but you just write it down. You're not going to work through it all today, but write down an area of brokenness. Awareness is how we begin can take these questions home this week and ask God what he's trying to show you about surrendering. You're also welcome to come talk to me. You can also give me or any of the pastors on staff a call or an email this week. For me, dealing with brokenness has meant trusting a few people with my pain and allowing them to support me. And that's what we want to do. We want to support you.
pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for being a God who loves us so deeply that you want us fully restored and close to you. We know that you make us aware of our own brokenness because of your mercy and your grace. Please continue to stop for us. Please continue to confront us and love us.